the rack in front of you. If you don't have your own, open to Luke chapter 1. If you're using one of those blue Bibles, you'll find Luke 1 on page 1012 in those blue Bibles. 1012, the rest of you open to the third book of the New Testament, the book of Luke, starting in chapter 1, verse 26. Luke 1, starting in verse 26. If you're there, please say amen. Here we go. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zachariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. May God bless us as we study His Word today. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank You that Mary was a woman of great faith. Lord, perhaps when the angel spoke to her, she was only 13 or 14 years old. But she believed the Word of the Lord. I pray that we here, as followers of Christ, would have such a belief as well. In Jesus' name. All God's people said, Amen. Amen. I'm so glad that you're here today as uh, we're here in week two of our new Christmas message series, Christmas at the Movies. Two weeks ago, uh, our congregation voted on your favorite two Christmas movies of all time, and the movie we're going to spotlight today I came in tied for third place with Home Alone. And so this one is uh, a, another great movie. It's a modern Christmas classic. And the movie we're going to spotlight today, tied for third place, The Polar Express. The Polar Express. 
And so I encourage you to grab those message notes from the end of the aisle, pass them down to those in your row if you're sitting near the aisle, and also grab those bags of popcorn. You can break them open if you like and start digging in, enjoying that popcorn. We're going to get to our first clip in just a moment, but let me give kind of the backstory here. Uh, This movie that came out in 2004, The Polar Express, is based on the award-winning, best-selling Christmas book written by Chris Van Alsberg. The movie tells the story of a a young boy who doubts the existence of Santa Claus. It's well past bedtime on Christmas Eve, and he, he lies in bed. He so much wants to hear the sound of reindeer's sleigh bells ring. Because he believes if he hears the ringing of the sleigh bells, that will prove to him that Santa is real. But as he lies there in bed late into the evening of Christmas Eve, he doubts that he will ever hear the sound of those sleigh bells. Although he really wants to believe, the honest truth is his belief in Santa is just hanging on by a thread. As we dive into this first clip, we're going to pick up at the start of this movie, The Polar Express. And, of course, we know what happens next. The little boy, despite his trepidations and fears, he climbs on board the Polar Express with about ten other young kids heading on Christmas Eve to the North Pole. As best as we can tell, this little boy's parents had taught him to never talk to strangers. But evidently they forgot to tell him never to board strange trains in the middle of the night. Because the boy gets on board and heads thousands of miles away to the North Pole. And there he is on that train, and as he climbs on board the Polar Express, this one-night adventure brings him to a point where he has a crisis of faith. He and about ten of these other children enjoy hot cocoa, a thrilling roller coaster-like ride down steep canyons and across a frozen lake. They eventually make it to the North Pole, no worse for the wear. And throughout their long journey, this young boy continues to wrestle with his doubts. He hopes that his midnight train ride will lead to a rekindled belief in Santa Claus, but he fears that it's all just a dream. In Luke chapter 1, I wonder if Mary wondered if it was all just a dream. There's this one scene in the the movie, the little boy is up on top of the Polar Express train and the snow is coming down and there's probably a foot of snow on top of the train and he's convinced that he must be dreaming and he pinches himself and he gets down on the train on all fours and he shoves snow in his face and he says over and over again, wake up, wake up, wake up. I wonder if Mary did a similar thing. There she is at 13 or 14 years old doing her chores, minding her own business, and all of a sudden, right in front of her, one of God's greatest angels, Gabriel, is standing and speaking to her. And I wonder if Mary pinched herself. I wonder if she asked herself under her breath if she was dreaming. Maybe said, wake up, wake up, wake up. This couldn't be happening to a girl like her because, after all, Mary was a nobody in her village. It was some podunk town in northern Galilee. No one cared about Nazareth. And so nothing exciting ever happened to her. Nothing exciting ever happened to her family. And nothing newsworthy ever happened in Nazareth. But now there's this angel of God standing in front of her. 
And this angel Gabriel comes to Mary and says, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. I think verse 29 speaks volumes about how blown away Mary was by the angel's greeting. If you look again at verse 29, it says, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Well, we don't know for sure if Mary pinched herself. We don't know for sure if she told herself under her breath to wake up or asked herself as she was dreaming. But we can tell from the text here in Luke chapter 1 that Mary certainly was shocked. She was scared and she was confused. But despite all of that confusion and all of that uh, uh, all of that bewilderment that she experienced here in Luke 1, despite all of that, she listened to every single word that the angel spoke to her. She didn't allow the doubt and the confusion and the bewilderment to stop her from listening. As Gabriel said in verses 30 through 33, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. And to that we say amen. His kingdom will never end. And Mary responds in verse 34 by asking one simple question. It's the only question that she asks of the angel in their entire interchange exchange. And she asks this question in verse 34. How will this be since I am a virgin? Seems like a pretty reasonable question, don't you think? She's 13 or 14 years old. She's been a good girl. She's a virgin. She hasn't had sexual relations. She's saving herself for a wedding night. And now an angel is saying she's going to be pregnant soon. How is this possible? And she asked that question. Now, it seems like a reasonable question to me, but over the centuries, Christians have kind of argued back and forth whether or not her question here indicates a lack of faith in what the angel was telling her. Did she doubt the angel's words? Was her question full of doubt or was her question full of faith? And that's especially an important question because of what we read earlier in the chapter. We kind of skipped ahead to the middle of the chapter a few moments ago, but if you were to read the first 25 verses, you'd discover that this was not the first person that the angel Gabriel gave a message to in this chapter. If you read the first 25 verses, we find that six months before Gabriel came and spoke to Mary, that angel Gabriel was sent to Zechariah the priest. Zechariah was a priest, and he went into the uh, city of Jerusalem. It was the time for his uh, priestly uh, group to, to gather and serve there in Jerusalem at the temple. And he was chosen by lot to go into the temple and burn incense one day. And so there he is burning incense. And as he's burning incense inside the temple, the angel Gabriel appears to Zechariah. And Zechariah is given a message that's not too much different from the message that Mary is given six months later. This angel Gabriel says that, uh, that uh, Zechariah's wife, Elizabeth, is going to give birth to a son. Even though she's a retired senior citizen, even though she had been barren all of her life, she's going to give birth to a son. And, and this is what the angel says in verse 17 to Zechariah. 
said this son named John will go on before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And so this angel comes to Zachariah and says, your wife is going to give birth to John. And we come to know later that this would be John the Baptist that she would give birth to. And he would go in the spirit and the power of Elijah to prepare the way for Jesus Christ's ministry. And this last week, as I was comparing these two messages that Gabriel gave to Zechariah and then six months later to Mary, I noticed there's a lot of similarities there. Uh, For starters, you notice that Mary and Zechariah are visited by the exact same angel. Gabriel goes to Zechariah. Six months later, Gabriel goes to Mary. Gabriel was the angel, and both Mary and Zechariah were scared at first, which prompted Gabriel to say both times, do not be afraid. And Gabriel announced to both Mary and Zechariah a miraculous birth of a very special son, and both Mary and Zechariah responded with a question. Now, I want you to take a look with me at Zechariah's question in verse 18. And bear with me on this, because there is a point. Verse 18, the question Zechariah asks the angel, once the angel has said, your wife will give birth to this son named John, who will prepare the way for the Lord. Here is Zechariah's question in verse 18. He asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man, and my wife is well along in years. Now, at first glance, if you look at his question in verse 18 and compare it to Mary's question in verse 34, these questions seem the same. He asks, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my, I'm married to an old lady. And, and then in verse 34, Mary responds to the Gabriel by saying, how will this be since I am a virgin? Those questions seem very similar, don't they? But Luke 1 makes it clear that those questions are actually quite a bit different from each other. Here's the first few blanks for you to fill in on your handout. Zechariah asks, how can this be? Mary asks, how will this be? See the difference? He asks, how can this be? She asks, how will this be? To say it a little differently, Mary asks, or excuse me, Zechariah responds with unbelief. Mary responds with belief. He asked, how can this be? It didn't seem possible. I'm an old man. I'm married to an old lady. This this is nuts. Mary's question, she doesn't question whether or not God can do it. She doesn't question whether or not the angel is speaking the truth about what God is going to do. She simply asks for a little more information about how God is going to do it. Big difference. He responds with, unbelief she responds with belief in the polar express as the boy is on his way to the north pole he continues to wrestle with unbelief he so much wants to believe in santa but he can't bring himself to believe in a person who he can't see with his own two eyes and in this next clip the boy is on the roof of the train he's looking for a girl who he believes is in trouble and while looking for her he encounters a mysterious hobo who has some doubts of his own. I want you to think about these three words. Seeing is believing. The hobo asked the boy the question, seeing is believing, am I 
right. Well, is he? Is seeing believing? Well, honestly, for most people, the answer is yes. For most people, the answer is yes. Seeing is believing. For many people, if they don't see it with their own two eyes, if they don't hear it with their own two ears, if they can't touch it with their fingertips, then they're not going to believe it. Many people live this way every single day. If they can't personally experience it with their five senses, they're not going to believe it. And I think the Polar Express hobo is right. Many people refuse to believe that which they cannot see because, as he puts it, they don't want to be bamboozled. They don't want to be led down the primrose path. They don't want to be conned or duped, have the wool pulled over their eyes to be hoodwinked. They don't want to be taken for a ride. They don't want to be railroaded. Now, those who live this way remind me a lot of a man we call Doubting Thomas. Remember Thomas, one of Jesus' 12 disciples? Jesus went to that cross, and three days later he conquered death. And Jesus, on the evening of that first Easter morning, he showed himself in resurrected form to his disciples. But for one reason or another, Thomas was AWOL. He wasn't there with the other disciples. And so maybe it was the day after, maybe a couple days later, the other disciples found Thomas and they told him what they had seen. We have seen the risen Lord. We have seen him with our own two eyes. Jesus is alive. And you remember what Thomas said to them? In John chapter 20, he said this in verse 25. Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. In other words, if I can't see Jesus with my own two eyes and touch his wounds with my own two hands, I won't believe he's really alive because for me, seeing is believing. And you probably remember what happened a week later. Jesus appeared to his disciples again. This time Thomas was not a wall. This time Thomas was in the room. And Jesus immediately goes up to Thomas and he says this in John 20, verses 27 through 29. He says to him, Put your finger here, see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Think about those words of Jesus. Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet have believed. About 15 minutes or so after the hobo scene, the little boy on top of the Polar Express comes down off the roof of the train with his little friend that he had found and also the engineer of the train. And there's this really quick conversation that goes on between the little boy and the engineer. It's a little clip only lasts 19 seconds. But I think in this 19 second clip, we find the greatest nugget of wisdom in the entire movie. And I want you to listen carefully. I don't want you to miss what he says. I want you to think of those words. Sometimes seeing is believing, but more importantly, sometimes the most real things in the world are the things we can't see. Amen? Isn't that a great line? 
Sometimes the most real things in the world are the things we can't see. Jesus said, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have, have believed. And as we saw last month during our study of Hebrews 11, the faith chapter, from the very beginning of that faith chapter, we're given that wonderful definition in Hebrews 11.1 1 of what faith is. God's word says faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. And then five verses later in Hebrews 11.6, it says, without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. For many people in this life, seeing is believing. But if you have chosen to follow Jesus Christ as your Savior and your Lord, you have chosen the path of faith. And when you've chosen the path of faith, not seeing is believing. Amen? On the path of faith, not seeing is believing. As believers and followers of Jesus Christ, we can say amen to Tom Hanks, the engineer, as he says, sometimes the most real things in the world are the things we can't see. We can't see God the Father, can we? We can't see with our own two eyes Jesus Christ. We can't see the Holy Spirit. We can't hear eternal life. We can't taste forgiveness. We can't touch love or grace or justice or heavenly rewards. But we know that they're even more real than the clothes on our backs. Amen? We know that these things are more real than this podium in front of me. More real than the chair you're sitting on. More real than the car you'll drive home in today. The things of God are more real than the things of this world. Oh, God's Word makes it clear for believers and followers of Jesus Christ, the most real things in the world are the things we can't see. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. In fact, the Bible makes it clear that faith in God is rewarded while unbelief is judged. Faith in God is rewarded, unbelief is judged. When Zechariah doubted the angel Gabriel's words to him, the angel Gabriel doesn't take any time responding to that unbelief. The angel proceeds to tell Zechariah, because you have not believed the word of the Lord, you're going to be mute until that baby's born. You won't be able to speak a single word. And immediately, that's what happens to Zechariah. That whole nine months that his wife is pregnant with John the Baptist, he can't speak a word until he comes to that point of belief. God judged him and punished him. Because of his unbelief. But instead of saying, like Mary did, I am the Lord's servant, may it be to me as you have said, Zechariah doubted and didn't accept what God's word was to him. God punished him. He judged him because of that. Mary, on the other hand, she received God's words with faith through the angel, didn't she? She said, you know what? I may not understand all the details, but may it be to me as you have said, I am the Lord's servant. You know, in the second to last chapter of the Bible, in Revelation chapter 21, we're given a list of those, the kinds of people that are going to end up in hell. And it's a sobering passage that I think all of us need to be familiar with. It's there at the end of the Bible, so it's as if God is saying, there are a few more things I want to make sure I tell you before I close the last page of Scripture. And in Revelation 21, we're given this list, this, this uh, list of, of who is going to be there in that place of eternal punishment. 
And this is what we read in Hebrew in, in Revelation chapter 21, verse 8. Now, if you were to guess what kinds of people make that list, those that are going to hell, my guess is you'd probably guess murderers, right? Yeah, they're on the list. How many of you would guess liars? Yeah, they're on the list too. How about sexual perverts? Yep, they're also on the list. But what surprises many Christians is what we find at the top of the list. Revelation 21.8 says, The cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, their place will be in the lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Isn't this remarkable? When it comes to God's list of who is going to hell, higher on the list than murderers, are unbelievers. That's kind of remarkable, isn't it? Higher on the list than bold-faced liars are unbelievers. Higher on the list than sexual perverts are unbelievers. Number two on the list, those who are unbelievers, those who stubbornly refuse to believe in God and refuse to put our unseen Savior in the driver's seat of their lives because they live by that stupid motto, seeing is believing. You know, it breaks my heart to think of what it says in Philippians chapter 2. It says that Jesus Christ, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, and he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now why does that trouble my heart? It troubles my heart because of that last verse. One day every knee will bow. But for most people it will be too late. One day every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, but for most people it will be too late. Those that lived by this motto, seeing is believing, are going through life saying, I refuse to trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior because I can't see Him with my own two eyes. One day they will see Him with their own two eyes, but by the time they see Him with their own two eyes, it will be too late. Many go through life and say, if I can't hear Him speak to me, With an audible voice, I will not believe in Him. So I am not going to accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. I'm going to reject Him as my only chance of making it to heaven and try to make it to heaven on my own with my own five senses as my guide. What a travesty that those who live by this motto will not be able to enter paradise, will not be able to enter heaven. Seeing is believing. It's a terrible way to live. Without faith, it is impossible To please God. Blessed are those who have not seen, Jesus says, and yet have believed. Well, the Polar Express eventually makes it to the North Pole. Comes to a stop at the center of Santa's village and each of the kids uh, disembark. They get off the train and they are surrounded by thousands of creepy looking CGI elves. And there they are in the center of Santa's village, surrounded by all these elves, and there's all this commotion and excitement because in just a few minutes, Santa's going to come out of his workshop, and he's going to board that sleigh. And this little boy realizes that he needs to come to a point of belief, not after he sees Santa with his own two eyes, but before. 
And as the little boy stands in the village square, one of the reindeer's sleigh bells is ringing and the reindeer are bouncing up and down, excited that Santa's about to come. And as the reindeers are bouncing up and down, one of those little sleigh bells is flung off the harness and comes to a stop just a few feet from this little boy. One of those harness bells that he had hoped earlier that evening he would get to hear to prove that Santa was real. And the little boy reaches over and he grabs this sleigh bell and he decides that this is the moment. This is the moment he has to decide once and for all whether or not he is going to believe in the one who he cannot see. Well, Zechariah responded to the angel's words with unbelief. He was a seeing is believing kind of Christian. But Mary, on the other hand, she responded to God's words through the angel by believing in faith what was said. You see, Mary was a walk by faith and not by sight kind of Christian. And I wonder today, what kind of Christian are you? What kind of Christian are you? Are you a seeing is believing kind of Christian or are you a walk by faith and not by sight kind of Christian? You've asked God to forgive your sins. Do you believe he has? If so, say, I believe. You have come to Jesus Christ and you've received his word to you that he will never leave you nor forsake you. If you believe his word, say, I believe. Jesus said he's going to heaven to prepare a place for each of his followers, including you, if you follow him. If you believe his word, say, I believe. You've asked God to help you with your financial mess. Do you believe he will? If so, say, I believe. You've asked God to bring your kids to salvation, even though they could care less about him today. If you believe he will answer that prayer, say, I believe. You've asked God to heal your broken marriage. All indications are it's over. It's done with. There is no hope. But you have prayed for your marriage. And God has given you a peace that it will be healed one day. If you believe his words, say, I believe. You've asked God to lift you out of your depression. Do you believe he will? If so, say, I believe. There's so many promises of God that he has given to us. If you are a seeing is believing kind of Christian, you will not accept those promises. You will not in faith take hold of those promises. You will not believe those promises. But if you are a walk by faith and not by sight kind of Christian, you'll receive every one because Jesus Christ in his reality of his existence and his word being true and being fulfilled every single time is more real than anything we experience here on earth. If you, like Mary, are a walk-by-faith and not-by-sight kind of Christian, you'll receive them all and say, I accept it, Lord, because I believe you exist. I believe you are real, and I believe you will fulfill every single one of your promises you make to me. Inspired by the Holy Spirit, Mary's cousin Elizabeth proclaimed in Luke 1:45, Blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished so too you will be blessed as you believe the word of the lord i don't know about you but i believe i believe let's pray oh heavenly father we thank you for the glorious example of mary she was no superhuman she was just a woman of faith i thank you lord for her example 
that she didn't make that same mistake that Zechariah made, even though she was scared, even though she was confused, she believed the word of the Lord and said, may it be to me as you have said, I am the Lord's servant. God, may we have that same attitude as Mary. When you make a promise and all evidence seems to indicate that your promise is nutty, it's impossible, it can't happen, may we like Mary say, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. Lord, you say so clearly in your word, without faith, Without belief, it is impossible to please God. And we want to please you. We want to walk by faith and not by sight. We don't want to be like Thomas, doubting until we can experience it with our five senses, Lord. We want to be blessed as ones who, not seeing, still believe. Lord, may we all take hold of this truth that's communicated in this little movie. Sometimes the most real things in the world are the things we can't see. May we embrace that truth that's solidly grounded in Scripture, and may we live it out every day. If you're here today and you've come not exactly knowing if you're right with God, I want to pray with you today as our eyes are still closed and our heads are bowed. If you're here today and you want to make sure that you get right with God, Make sure that you have a relationship with Him, that your sins are forgiven, that you'll go to heaven someday. I'm going to ask that you just slip your hand into the air right now. Let us know if you need prayer today. You know what? I've been struggling. Maybe you know you're going to heaven, but this message has revealed to you that you're the kind of Christian that's more like Zachariah than like Mary. You have trouble believing God's Word to you unless you see it with your own eyes or hear it with your own ears or touch it with your own fingertips. If If you're struggling with your belief, if you're struggling with your faith as a Christian, I'd like you to raise your hand also. I want to pray with you. I see those hands. God bless you. God bless you. Anyone else struggling with your walk right now, struggling with your faith? Amen. Maybe you're here today and you're just going through some things. And you say, you know what? I want to believe in God, but everything in my marriage looks hopeless. I want to believe in God, but the doctors keep on telling me, but I've got this situation and there's no cure. I want to believe in God, but all the evidence that I've seen in my kids, they could care less about following Christ. And they're off living in the world and there's no sign that they're going to make a U-turn and come back to Christ. If you're going through some things and you just need your faith bolstered a bit, you raise your hand right now. I want to pray with you. Amen. I see those hands. Amen. Let me pray with all of you. Lord, I pray first of all for those who have raised their hand and said, I'm not so sure. But I'm in that relationship with you. I'm not so sure I'm right with you right now. You said, Lord, that without faith it is impossible to please you. And I don't have much faith right now. I don't see how I could be pleasing you with my life. Lord, I pray for those who are honest enough to slip their hands in the ear. Say, I need prayer for this. Lord, would you be with them? Would you strengthen their faith? And may they come to you if they've never accepted you as Lord and Savior and humbly put you in the driver's seat of your life and trust you enough to keep you there. Lord, I pray for the Christians in this room. Lord, they don't doubt their salvation, but they're dealing with other doubts. And Lord, it's hard to to lean on you. They've become accustomed to leaning on their own understanding and trusting in themselves and their own sixth sense or their own wit or their own uh, intellectual wisdom and guidance and and knowledge of things. Lord, I just pray that you would be with them. 
May they walk by faith and not by sight. All of us, Lord, may we walk by faith and not by sight. And those dealing with specific challenges, whether it's marriages, whether it's illnesses, whether it's a diagnosis, whether it's kids straying from the Lord, whether it's a death in the family, whatever it is, Lord, would you strengthen those that are struggling today? I mentioned depression in the message, Lord. Those that are struggling with discouragement and depression, Lord, would they hold on to that truth and that promise, Lord, that there will be joy that comes in the morning. May they in faith receive that, Lord, that you will restore the joy, that you will restore the peace and lift them up out of their anxiety and depression. Lord, I lift them up to you as well. Move in our lives, Lord. As the disciples said to you, increase our faith. Increase our faith. Increase our faith. We don't want to live by this silly motto, seeing is believing. We want to, Lord, without seeing, believe. Because you are true to your word. In Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know about you, but as I'm making my way through these Christmas movies, there are some wonderful lessons tucked away in these top four Christmas favorites that you 